Dear Lord, that was a great, a great song. So is all the music this morning. And it, Father, it all reminds us of the story we really, we believe with all of our hearts that your son came to this earth. He actually had flesh and blood. But more importantly, God, he's coming back again. It's, uh, it's terrifying in some sense, but it's our hope. It's what we hope for. And I pray this morning that you'd uh, just give me the grace to speak truth. Help me not to uh, make exaggerations or anything like that, but to speak truth that glorifies Jesus Christ, the King who is sitting at your right hand right now. I pray that he's honored by what is being said. I also pray for our hearts, that God, um, when we leave today, we'd be different, that we would want to serve you We'd want to adore you, and uh, I do pray, God, if there's anybody here that has not thought about you in a long time, I pray that you would speak clearly, very clearly to their heart. Only your Holy Spirit can do that, and I pray that um, they will be drawn back to Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen. I believe that uh, every generation has uh, its favorite Christmas song, Christmas music, but also Christmas movie that they really relate to. Probably about 30, 40 years, It's a Wonderful Life. That took the crown for a, for a lot of years, but I believe that this current generation, I mean about the age of 40 down, I would say the Christmas mu movie for this generation is none other than Elf. I think Elf, see... And if you, don't, if, if, like, if you don't know some of the famous lines from Elf, like, uh, congratulations, world's best cup of coffee. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you're really not in there. You, you really need to progress on your Christmas viewing. Or Francisco, Francisco, Francisco. I really like to say Francisco. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? If you raise your hand, see, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. In that, in that movie, there's the actor Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell is very funny. In that movie, his humor is clean, but I warn you, don't watch many of his other movies, honestly. He sinks to really low lows. I once heard, I once heard the way you can tell a person is by the humor they laugh at. That's really how you can tell a person. And sometimes the humor he takes people to isn't to be laughed at. I'll, I'll just give you one example. Some of you have heard the movie Talladega Nights. He's this NASCAR driver. Ricky, Ricky, what is his name? So those of you who know that, you should be ashamed of yourself. I was calling you out to see, to see if you knew. And he's, well, this Ricky Bobby character, is he, he's having grace. He's praying with this family. And he starts praying to God, and he says, little baby Jesus, with little baby fists rolled up in his little imaginary manger. And his wife said, he's grown up. He goes, but I like to pray to the Christmas Jesus. That's the Jesus I like. And then his boys, really nice names, Walker and Texas Ranger. I like the ninja Jesus, you know. But the way he talks about Jesus, there is a flippancy that is, I know it's a movie, but it's dangerous. Because the God we worship, is not to be trifled with. He is, he's holy, and he's alive. 
And sometimes I think what happens to us, and I think we even have to be dangerous or careful about this in Christmas, is that we just think so much about God in the past that we forget that he's alive in the present moment. Like even Christmas songs, they're great and all, but we, he, he grew up. And that's not why he came, is just to lie there and we shed a tear. He came to grow up. I, it's it's kind of, this is the best way I'm trying to illustrate what I'm saying. When my wife and I were married, I, I am the youngest of all my cousins, and I have a lot of cousins. My mom has a lot of brothers and sisters. My dad has a sister that had a lot of kids, and I'm always the youngest. And I was young by a lot of years. So when we'd go to family reunions or over to my cousin's house, I was this little Chrissy, this little kid that walked around like that. And all the cousins were older, you know, and they didn't really pay much attention to me, so I had to learn to do things to get their attention. And one thing I could do is, if you ever watched Fat Albert with Bill Cosby, you could go, hey, 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 love to play football. And as a little kid, I could do that. And the cousins would come by and go, oh, man, do that for me, do that. And I'd go, hey, 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 like that. This little kid doing that. And they thought, oh, that cousin is so funny. Come here, do more things, you know. And maybe that's what got me into preaching, to perform for you. But on the day I was married, they had this, the wedding chapel was over here. You walk down this long hallway to the reception. My wife and I had to greet everybody as they go by. Then a whole bunch of my cousins were coming by. Do that thing for me. Do that. No, I don't want to do that. I'm married now. I'm a man. I'm not going to do that. I, I felt, I just got married. I don't want to do Fat Albert. There's got to be some dignity to this moment. You know what I'm saying? In the same way, Jesus, sometimes we got to realize there's got to be some dignity in our perspective of who we're praying and singing to. He's unbelievable. And my hope today is I can convey that. There's a song that says, Oh, for a thousand tongues. It's an old song. And the point is, I wish I had a thousand tongues to speak of my Redeemer, but I only got this one fat piece of muscle in my mouth, and it doesn't work too good when I talk about the Savior sometimes. But I hope it works today. So if you can, open up the Psalm 2. This is our last message in a series called A Trinitarian Christmas. We are using the word Trinity because we believe our God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons in one being. The Apostles' Creed says we believe in God from God, light from light, true God from true God. He's begotten, not made. He's one in being with the Father. Through him all things are made. And that's who we're talking about today, the Son. Psalm 2, we said for the last two weeks, is God's perspective on Christmas, why it had to come about. So let me read through it, and then we will work through the rest of this psalm. Psalm 2. Verse 1, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. 
I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Verses 1 through 3 we used for the first message. We said this is, this is where Christmas began from God's point of view. For us... Christmas began in a manger, but from God's point of view, it began in a world on fire. We said the nations are raging or rebelling against this holy God. And what they want to do is break off his bonds. That means they don't want his authority. They don't want him to tell them what to do. And who are they? Anybody who doesn't want God as their God. Jesus as their king. And so what they say is, we're just, gonna, we're just not going to listen to him. We're going to cast off his cords. And what he does in verse 4 says he sits in the heavens and he laughs. He's laughing not that, they're, not that he doesn't love them or he doesn't want them to be his. He's laughing at their thinking they can fight against him. No chance. You've got no chance. That's what we said the first, the first message. So we said in verse 7 was his decree. His decree is to set his king, verse 6, on the holy hill. Do you know how God is going to clean out this earth of rubbles? He's going to send a king to rule. And he made this decree in eternity past. It was fulfilled in a human being 2,000 years ago with flesh and blood. And his reason for coming is to unite the heavens with the earth. That's what we said two weeks ago. Last week we were looking at verse 8. And verse 8 says, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, the end of the earth your possession. And we said God has sent his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person Trinity, to go to all the nations of the world and to, in a sense, woo people to the Savior. Call them. Give them an invitation like a wedding planner and set up the date for the bride to marry the bridegroom. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Today we're going to look at verse 9. Verse 9 is what we're going to focus on. And verse 9 is the end game. Why did Jesus come? Why was he sent to earth? Yes, to be born. Yes, he came to die for your sins. But the end game is verse 9. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. What this means is that when God's Son is fully grown, He is going to rule this earth and subdue all the rebels and finally bring peace. That's the end game. Charles Hayden Spurgeon, who was a great preacher of England, he once said, God must judge the world. He is the universal ruler and sovereign. There has been a day for sinning. There has been a day for sinning. Now there ought to be a day for punishing. A long age of rebellion has been endured, and there must be a time when justice shall assert her her supremacy. The psalmist describes God as a person who is able to take the nations and break them with a rod of iron. 
like a potter's vessel. Have you ever seen clay? You take a clay pot and just hold it up and just let it smash on the cement. Just shatters. That's what it says God is going to do to the nations with his words. With his words. The sword of his mouth, it says in Revelation. He's powerful. I want to just let you focus for a second on this next slide. Go to the next slide. This next slide has some of the major verses from Genesis to Revelation. Some of the major verses which talk about there is going to be a king who's going to come. I just want to read four of them for you. And I want you to listen to them. Because honestly, sometimes I can't, I can't utter what Scripture's trying to say, and you need to let Scripture fall on your, your mind. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, you can. Otherwise, just listen. This is Genesis chapter 49. Genesis 49, verse 10. Genesis, as this guy by the name of Jacob, he has all these sons, and the sons are all the tribes of Israel. And he gives them prophecies or blessings. And one tribe is named Judah. And here's what he says about the tribe of Judah in Genesis 49. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be in the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah's a lion cub. From the prey, my son, you have grown up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness who dares rouse him. Verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's what it says in Revelation. This prophecy is specifically saying this person who's going to come from the tribe of Judah, which Jesus did, is going to have all his brothers bow to him. He's going to have a rod that he's holding that's between his feet, and he's going to bring all the nations to obedience. That's the end game. And it gets worse. This is Deuteronomy 32. I was talking to somebody who saw Star Wars and they're excited about it, and they're saying, you know, it's kind of, wasn't too violent, though. Wasn't too violent, so it'd be pretty good for Christians to go see. It wasn't too violent. And as I was talking to them, do you know the Bible's pretty violent? Jesus is going to be extremely violent. Listen to Deuteronomy 32 through 39. This is when he comes to wage war on the earth. It says, see now that I, even I, am he. There is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and swear as I live forever. If I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and will repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives from the long-haired heads of the enemy. Rejoice with him, O heavens, bow down to him, all gods, for he avenges the blood of his children and takes vengeance on his adversaries. He repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's lands. That's not nice. But that's the final end game. I have two more verses. You can read, if you can read some of those, you can look those up later. But this one is from Jesus' own lips, Matthew 25. 
Jesus says in verse 31, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on His left. The goats will go out to everlasting destruction. It's not pretty. And Revelations 1.7 ends like this. Here's how Revelation 1.7 ends. It says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. So if this is true, if this is his endgame, this is the kind of Lord we serve, why isn't he doing anything about the earth today? There still is all kind of people that want nothing to do with them. There's ISIS who's beheading people. There's, there's all kind of horrendous things happening. I don't even need to name them. Just read the headlines. Where is he? Well, right now we are in a holding pattern. According to Hebrews chapter 2, listen to what Hebrews chapter 2 says. Go to the next line. We are waiting. It says, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8. It says, at the present moment, meaning today, we do not yet see everything subject to him. Because first he had to come to pay for sin. That's what the whole book of Hebrews is about. He had to die on a cross. He had to be buried. He had to rise again from the dead. And he is now waiting for you to repent. And it says in Peter, he's, he's waiting patiently. But you have to remember, a day with God is like a thousand years. Like a thousand years a day. So what seems like a long time for you and me, it's not that long for him. So what is our job while we wait? I want to give you an analogy. And it's a story of two queens. And I want you to listen really closely because these two queens, one of them are you. You can choose which one you want to be. There's a story about this king. He's an amazing king. He was pretty much ruler of the world. He decided to have a party, and he had a party for 180 days. That's a lot of time to party. It says they drank wine for 180 days. He'd invite all of his friends, all these kings, from around the world. It said that his palace was so majestic, he would have all these tapestries of white cotton that would hang and these Vibrant colors of purple would come down. It says all the couches were of gold lined with silver, and the floors were of mosaic tile. And it says him and his friends literally drank wine for 180 days. Sounds kind of crazy, but you can find it in the Bible. He was married to this queen that said this lady was gorgeous. While he was having his party, she was having her own party with her maids and mistresses. And after 180 days, the king said, you know... I want all you guys to see how gorgeous my wife is. Her name was Vashti. And Vashti said, I'm not going. She folded her arms and said, I'm not going to come to the summons of the king. No. So she refused to come. And it says the king was hot. He was angry because his wife rejected his invitation. 
So he gathered around his advisors. He says, what should I do? And they said, well, if you let her get away with this, all the wives are going to disrespect her husband, and everybody in the kingdom is going to disrespect you. you got to do something. So here's what he did. He said, to Vashti, you can never see my face again. Never. And hand over your crown. Never could his wife ever see his face again. So what he told all of his, his advisors to do, said, go around the kingdom and find the most beautiful women you can find. He, they found this one lady. Her name was Hadassah. You might know her as Esther. It said she was beautiful. Literally, the Bible says she was beautiful in form and figure. She was hot in our language. She was. And that whistling's appropriate. God doesn't mind beautiful women. He doesn't. She was beautiful. But you want to know how the account goes? It says, before she could enter into the presence of the king, she had to, for a whole year, go through beautification and purification rituals of spices, aloes, myrrh. She had to beautify herself until she could go into the presence of the king. After 10 months of this, he finally called her. She humbly came, only bringing one small maidservant with her, and she went into the presence of the king when he asked her in. It says when he looked upon her, he was overwhelmed. And he said, we are going to have a feast just for you on this day. There are some of you that the king has been inviting for years, and you have been telling him, forget it. I'm just going to party with my friends. I don't need this. But he wants you to respond like Esther to start preparing yourself for his arrival. When he comes, it says in 1 John 3, 1, we are going to be just like him. So because of that, we, be, we need to start purifying ourselves of sin. Start the purification and beautification process now because when he comes, he is going to be unbelievably overwhelming. This is the part that's hard for me, honestly. We are going to see the face of the one who made the heavens and the earth. Do you know what that's going to be like? I feel so inept when I, when I talk about the promises of the returning king. It's easier, I think, to talk about babies in a manger because we kind of control that situation. We know how to deal with babies. They're nice, they're cuddly, we can put them in our arms. We can say, oh, isn't that sweet? We can sing lullabies. But a king with a scepter who made the heavens and the earth by his breath, what do you do with that? I don't know. I think that's why it's so hard to talk about. I think we are, we are wires in our mind short circuit whenever we talk about a king of the universe. As it says in Isaiah, he sits above the circle of the earth and beings are like grasshoppers before him. When Isaiah saw him, he said, holy, holy, holy. He fell down on his face and he said, I am a man that is of unclean lips. I don't know what that is like. Because I'm a man of unclean lips and I think I'm just fine talking to Jesus. Well, Jesus is what my heart and your heart has been waiting for your whole life. That's just the facts. I don't know how to explain that, but I'll just leave it at that. Jesus is what your heart and my heart has been waiting for its whole life. 
Are you ready to see it? Well, Psalm 2 is going to tell us how to prepare ourselves, to beautify and purify ourselves. And it just gives three little things, three little pieces of advice of what we should do while we are waiting. And the first one is found in verse 10. So verse 9 talks about the son's role in Christmas. is he came, but he's going to come back again to rule these nations with a rod of iron. In the meantime, here is how we prepare, verses 10 through 12. Verse 10 begins by saying, Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. That phrase, be wise, be warned, means to wake up and start thinking. Think about him now and think about what he's going to be like in the future. Be wise, that's present tense. Be warned, that's future tense. In other words, start to think. Come alive with your mind. Ask yourself, where do you stand when it comes to your relationship with this king? I have found that there is a consistent thinking pattern with, with really true believers. They start to understand the eternal implications of their soul. And it, it overwhelms them. There's a story in John. I want you to turn to John. We're going to go back to Psalm 2, but go to John 6. And you will see how Peter, in the presence of Christ, he started really thinking. John chapter 6. I want you to go to verses 66. But to give you the context, Jesus was performing miracles, taking loaves of bread and multiplying them, and people were coming to see all these wondrous things he could do. A lot of people. Thousands. And it said he started speaking some very difficult truths and the people started to leave. They started to leave Jesus because he no longer was performing and just giving nice show for people. He wasn't entertaining anymore. He was starting to speak heavy truths. In verse 66, it says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So when things got tough, they quit following Jesus. Has that ever happened with you that when your prayers aren't answered or you don't like the music or things are tough, you stop following? So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? You're just going to leave me too? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we believed and we've come to know you are the Holy One of God. You are it. Peter is saying this. This is a statement of a man who knows all the other answers in life just are not working. And they've tired him out to the point where I have nowhere else to go but to you. What this means is Peter is awake. He's thinking. He's being wise. I find what happens is true believers, true Christians, are the ones who are exhausted chasing all the gains, all the shows, riches, wealth, position, pleasures. Christians are done with it. They're tired out, and they're saying, these don't answer. I have nowhere else to go but Jesus. But the world is kind of like my dog, Raphael. I've got this, this Australian shepherd, Raphael. He's a big dog, nicest dog you ever saw but kind of stupid, kind of dumb. I'll give you an illustration. 
At night, we have a downstairs, and I put him downstairs in his cage. And he goes in this little cage, and we lock him in. And at night, sometimes he doesn't want to go down, because if he goes downstairs, he's going to miss all the fun, like scraps of food maybe falling on the ground. And so I'll go downstairs, he'll say, Raphael, come. And he'll give you those eyes like this. He won't look at you, he'll go. I'll say, Raph, come. And he'll start to go down, but it's kind of hard. The boys sometimes have to push his butt. He won't go. So what I'll do sometimes is take some popcorn and just throw it down the stairs. And he'll see the popcorn, and he'll grab the popcorn, and he'll go right into the cage. What an idiot. Why is he doing that? Because the sparkle of the popcorn is drawing him. That's what it's like for the non-Christian world. I want fame. I want things. I want things. And you want to say, wake up. Really? You're going to die someday. I just did a funeral a couple days ago. And sometimes they just overwhelm you. This person's dead. They're dead. Be wise. Be warned. This king that I read about, you're going to be accountable to. One of the scary verses that I read while I was looking up some of those verses is Romans 2.16. Listen to what it says about Jesus. It says, uh, on that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. On the day he comes, he will know all your secrets. Secrets are those things that you do with hidden motives. Secrets are also those things you do when you don't think anybody is watching. Scripture says you will be judged by the words that you say idly, you will be judged by the thoughts that you have, and you'll be judged by the ill intentions and the intentions of why you do what you do. And Jesus is going to be the judge. So think. The second thing, if we go back to Psalm 2, is one of those verses where he takes these two ideas and puts them together, and they kind of seem to be, they don't make sense. They're juxtaposed in a sense that does doesn't seem to me to compute as a human. Listen to what verse 11 of Psalm 2 says. Serve the Lord with fear. That makes sense. But then rejoice with trembling. Rejoice with trembling? How do I rejoice with trembling? It's funny, they, in the book of Job, Job, Job was this guy that Life was going bad for him, and his buddy said, that's ah, because you're a sinner. And he goes, no, I really have been pure. And he, he analyzes his life, and he was pure with the way he dealt with women, the way he dealt with the people that worked for him, the way that he, his words were true. And he said, and the reason why I didn't sin is because of I feared the majesty of the Lord. That's why he didn't sin. Have you ever feared the majesty of the Lord? I rejoice in trembling. One scholar said this whole idea, it's this holy fear is sort of like the same thing. Have you ever driven by a car accident and you want to look, but you don't want to look? But you got to look, but you don't want to look because it's kind of scary. You don't know what you're going to see, but you're drawn to see. The presence of God, you want to go, but you don't want to go because he's holy. We are to serve him. He's the one we're to serve. So while we're waiting, we're to think, but he's the one we're supposed to serve. 
this uh, I've got one more Sunday this year, but I, I just just kind of um, I just like to make a formal announcement. I only have two more weeks here. Starting in January, I'm going to be working with Tom Izzo. He wants me to be his sit on the bench and be kind of just an encouragement to the players. So he's going to pay me triple what I get paid now, and I'm just going to go to all the games working for Tom Izzo. He's got me a a office right next to his, and so I get right work right next to Tom Izzo. It'd be kind of cool. In the first service, as I said that, there's a Michigan State fan, kind of like Darren, they're like, really? <laughs> and I said, no, it's not. I, I said, I misspoke. It's Donald Trump I'm going to start working with. <laughs> I'm going to go everywhere with him on this airplane, but really in my heart of hearts, it's Urban Meyer that is going to hire me next year. And you're proud, if you really thought about it, if I was serious, you'd be like, you are working with Tom Izzo? Are you kidding me? Oh, that's amazing. Or Donald Trump, oh, he'll give you one of his cool ties. Actually, this is my mom's ties. They're nicer than his. But you'd be like, oh, you get to work with the coolest guys in the world. No, I already am. His name's Jesus Christ. He's the best. But we don't think he is. We don't think he is, honestly. I don't know why we don't. When he comes back, He's going to be, you're going to be so overwhelmed. I think we're going to feel, why didn't I respect him more? Why didn't I? He's who we are going to serve. It's interesting in the book of Matthew, it says you've got two choices. You can serve God or man, mammon, which is money. God or money. And then it goes on this, I think the, if you read Matthew 6, it gives you the implications of if you choose God. If you choose to serve God, it says, seek first his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And to me, it's linked with who are you going to choose? Who are you going to serve, God or man? If you choose money, if you choose money, people are running after all these things like food and clothes. But if you choose God, my heavenly Father knows what you need. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you, Matthew 6.33. And I'm telling you, when you serve him, all these things will be given to you. They just will. They just will. I'm... <laughs> My kids can attest to things that people will give to us through Christ. They just will. So while we wait, think, serve, and the last one is, I think, one of the neatest phrases in the Bible, uh, Psalm 212. Listen to Psalm 212. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. But the phrase is, kiss the son. It's a It's a statement before you go before a king where you bow before him and you kiss his feet in abject obedience and surrender. One writer, one scholar said this is akin to the statement in the New Testament where it says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Or in Romans 10 where it says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. It's saying that you are kissing the son is full-fledged trust and giving your life over to the king. It's bowing and saying, you are mine. To, to, to sum up all of this, it's adoring him. 
It's worshiping Him. One writer's invitation said, when you are asked to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, He's asking you to trust Him for everything. That's what kissing the Son is, is complete adoration and belief that He is God. It's submission of mind, heart, and will. The question is, when will you do it? I want to show you what's going to happen on his arrival. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. This will be the last passage we look at. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Question is, when will you do this? It's important how you answer that according to 2 Thessalonians 1. Listen to what it says. Thessalonians is Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians. Then you get First and Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians one, the end of verse five, or I'll start in five. It says this is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. So he's talking to Christians. He's saying, if you're being afflicted, God's going to take care of it. Don't worry about it. If you're being mocked, and if you're being whipped and scorned and punished because of your faith, I'll take care of you. That's really what he's saying. And then he says, verse 7, And I will grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony. But if you notice in verse 8, who is the affliction going to fall upon? Those who do not know God, nor obey the gospel. So when I ask the question, when will you adore the Son? It's of utter importance, especially as it relates to the second coming of the Lord. Because if you do not kiss the Son now, you will later. But it won't be of the same kind. The first kind is humility where he invites you in as a child. The second kind is as an outcast where he punishes you as a rebel. So how will you kiss the son? Did you know there's two stories in the Bible where Jesus was kissed? There's only two times Jesus was kissed in the New Testament. First time, probably right away it will come to your mind, Judas Right after the Last Supper, they went to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas went to go get the guards to crucify Jesus. There's Jesus praying. Judas runs up to him and kisses his Savior. And Jesus looks at Judas and says, So, you will betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Here's a guy that was walking for three and a half years, telling everybody he is a follower of Jesus. 
Meanwhile, he was stealing from the treasury, and then he did the worst possible thing. He betrayed the Lord of glory before the nations of the world. There's a lot of people like that. They say they're Christians, but then when they get with their buddies, man, they betray the Lord. Or when you really got to make a decision, they just pay some respect to Christ, but not not adoration. But there is another story in the New Testament, in the book of Luke, actually, chapter 7. Jesus is going over to some Pharisees' house. They invite him over. He sits down, and these guys are really important. They want to argue, and they want to disagree with him. And all of a sudden, in walks this woman that they call a, is a sinner. We would probably call her worse. She walks up to the Lord. She has an alabaster jar of perfume, and she breaks it and pours it all over his feet. She takes her long hair, and she starts wiping his feet with her tears mingled with the perfume. And then after she wipes his feet with her hair, she starts kissing his feet. And the Pharisees look at him and said, how can you let that sinner touch you? He said, look, you invited me into your house, but you didn't wipe my feet. You didn't give me any perfume to anoint me. But this lady understands. She gave me everything she had because she understood she needs him. She needs a savior that's the king of the world to not just save her but to rule her life. So my question is, what kind of kiss do you offer Christ? And I have some advice. Don't kiss like Judas. Let's pray. Father, we um, are amazed at the Savior and His... Oh, the way the Bible describes His second coming, and sometimes it's just... It's overwhelming and scary. We thank You that He is the Lord of, of the heaven and earth, but He's also ours. He's mine. He's my Savior. I pray, God, if there's anybody in here that has not accepted the gospel, that you died and rose again. I pray that, God, today would be the day when they believe and accept you. I pray for those of us, God, who have been faking it. We've been like Judas. We say we belong, but really we deny him whenever we can. Forgive us, God. Forgive us. Please, Lord, this Christmas, help us to... um, Help us to see more than just a baby in a manger. Help us to see our God, Christ's name.